0: Good morning, everyone. This is your host, Sid, Uh, episode number 20. Our guest today is Dr. Thomas Smith. He's a geographer, environmental scientist, and an associate professor in environmental geography at the London School of Economics and Political Science. He teaches on a number of environmental courses focusing on innovative technology, enhanced experiential learning, and field-based education in geography. That being said, I want to welcome Dr. Thomas Smith all the way from London, UK. Hi, Tom, how are you, sir?
1: Hi, I'm, I'm very well, thank you. How are uh, things where you are?
0: Things are, uh, it's pretty gloomy and chilly here, you know. Uh, we,
1: we we currently have a storm, uh, battering the whole of the United Kingdom uh, today and tomorrow. It's uh, very windy and lots of heavy rain as well. Oh, no gosh. wildfires.
0: <laughs> uh, thank God, thank God. So, so Tom, uh, before we kind of get into the uh, subject of this podcast, would you take a couple of minutes to introduce yourself a little bit about your background to our audience listening to this podcast?
1: Yeah, uh, well, I was born in Birmingham in the Midlands of the UK. I um, studied geography at university. I did physical geography in Sheffield, which is in Yorkshire in the north of, the, uh, the north of England. Um, I moved to London where I did a master's degree in environmental monitoring and modelling. And that's where I uh, decided to do a PhD as well uh, at King's College London, which is part of the University of London. And uh, during my PhD, I, I, I set out to measure air pollution in, in London and, and, and looking at how how it gets dispersed uh, from the streets and uh, into the atmosphere. But I went to a wildfire in Alberta, um, Banff National Park, um, using some of the equipment that I measured air pollution in London with, and uh, it changed my whole view on uh, what I wanted to do with my PhD and I decided to focus on wildfires and um, since then I got a job as a academic at King's College London and I've moved recently well not recently uh, five years ago now uh, to be uh, an associate professor at uh, the London School of Economics.
0: That's great uh, so I know you mentioned you know you you know one of your expertise uh, or areas of education is wildfires so, uh, my first question to you is, you know, if you don't mind uh, taking a time to explain to our audience, what are wildfires and how do they start?
1: Yeah, wildfires are an important part of almost all of the ecosystems on the planet. It has played a role in helping to manage those ecosystems. It's a natural process. Um, natural fires in our environment um, are started by lightning, uh, okay. mostly. Uh, there are some rare of times when a volcanic eruption for example might ignite a wildfire or, or an asteroid impact in the history of this kind of geological past um but humans um have been playing a really important role for a very long time when it comes to fires um older cultures traditional cultures indigenous cultures um have used fire for thousands if not tens of thousands of years uh, as a way of managing the landscape and that human use of fire has actually shaped uh, a lot of the landscapes that we see today we might think of the savannas as being quite natural but actually humans have been using fire uh with that landscape for a very long time uh, and the human i mean ignitions are now very important as well as those natural ignitions from from uh, from lightning well so it's important to recognize that it's a it's a natural phenomenon that's quite normal in most of mm-hmm. the ecosystems on our planet uh but also humans have had a very big role to play for a very long time and and uh, have helped uh these different ecosystems to adapt uh with fire
0: great so i'm going to get back to you the human reasons uh, a little bit later in the podcast right yeah. now i want to ask you do you think the wildfires are caused by climate change and how do these wildfires affect Carbon emissions and climate change in itself.
1: Yeah, that's a it it it's a it sounds like a simple question, but it requires quite a complex answer because wildfires are uh, uh, wildfire activity, um, whether they start, how big they grow to, the intensity with which they burn, is determined by um, not just the climate; uh, it's also determined by the fuel, the vegetation that's growing on the ground. Mm -hmm. And it's determined by um, the ignitions as well. Those are the three really important components. Now, climate is having an undeniable impact on uh, wildfire behaviour. And by behaviour, I mean how fast the fire spreads and the intensity with which it burns. In many places, um, hotter, drier conditions associated uh, with more extreme weather, so uh, lengthier heat waves, Uh, more drought conditions. This is particularly the case in the UK. California Mm -hmm. is a very good example of this as well. And in uh, both cases, uh, the climate change is is changing the behaviour of the fire. But in other places, it's not the climate that's impacting the wildfire activity or behaviour. It's it's things like deforestation or the intentional use of fire to clear the land. And so um, climate change is playing a role. In the behavior of fire in some regions but in other places it's other human factors that are unrelated to climate change um that are having a, a bigger impact and so it's, it's really important not to generalize uh and to actually think about the different regions of the planet and in some places climate is the dominant change mechanism and in others it's it's it might be something else
0: uh, Tom, do you think the rise in human population is one of the reasons? The reason I bring this up is because in order to accommodate these people, you have to build housing. In order to build housing, that is somewhat connected with deforestation. You know, so so do you think that's like the rapid growth in human population is can also attribute to one of the factors?
1: Well, perhaps counterintuitively. Uh, and this is quite interesting. Um, despite what you might read in the in the media, um, mm-hmm. wildfire activity is actually going down according to, to satellite uh, measurements. Um, it's going up in some places where it's really not a good part of the ecosystem, but it's going down in places like sub-Saharan Africa, the mm-hmm. savannah regions, the grasslands. And the reason why it's going down is often because of the human infrastructure that is beginning to fragment the landscape. So in a way, um, you've got the human influence affecting uh, the built environment and infrastructure, and that divides up the landscape, actually um, stopping fires from spreading uh, Mm -hmm. from one place to another. As a fire gets to a road or as a fire gets to uh, a village or town, uh, it it, it may often stop. And so, uh, but the growing population and the need for agriculture and agricultural uh and and to feed that growing population is also having an influence on wildfire activity because wildfires are used frequently um in agriculture to clear the land after harvest this is the case in uh northern india in the in the northern mekong region in, in in southeast asia it's the case for oil palm plantations in indonesia and malaysia uh rice uh stubble burning all of these um you might not consider them to be wildfires. Perhaps we can call them wildland fires or agricultural fires um, are definitely on the increase as a result of of changes in global population, for sure. But let's not forget that we are fragmenting our landscape, which also stops the spread of fires in some places. Just like the previous question, really, it's it's quite a complex situation that is geographically um, uh, very diverse. Uh,
0: So, Tom, based on your research and study, uh, you know, what do you think are some of the environmental issues of wildfires and uh, you know its impact uh, as well? Uh, I mean, you did answer previously that what affects the wildland fire behavior just previously, so that that kind of sums it up. But is there something else that you think are some of the environmental issues of wildfires based on your research and studies?
1: Yeah, I think there are a number of issues. Um, one pressing issue right now, I think, is um, is climate change in the Arctic and the higher latitudes of the planet. Um, Most of the fires here are started by lightning. It's uh, human, the human ignitions are not the dominant cause of wildfires. And therefore, the increasing uh, prevalence of fires there and the uh, increasing intensity of those fires and the burnt area in those regions is a function of climate change. And we know that these parts of the planet Uh, the high latitudes are warming faster than anywhere else, two to three degrees warming already compared to one degree uh, for the rest uh, of the planet. So that's one area of concern because uh, the forests are burning and if they Mm. burn more frequently, um, then they're not going to be replaced because uh, where once you might have had a fire once every 140 years allows the forest to regenerate and grow to maturity, uh, you're now getting a fire every 20, 30 years or so and that's wiping out the younger trees, leading to a shift in the ecosystem. And the problem with that is all that carbon that was stored in the forest is now in the atmosphere and it's not going to be sequestered, which just drives further climate change of a vicious cycle in the climate system. Um, uh, do you want me to talk about a few other regions uh, of concern? Yeah, well, Please. Um, a, a, another one that is close to my research is far away from the high latitudes is actually in the equatorial tropical regions um fires in peat uh in, in peatlands so uh, uh you've got the drainage of the land you've got deforestation this dries out the soil so this is not driven by climate it's driven by human activity for agricultural uh development and and conversion of uh, tropical forests into uh, mostly palm oil plantations or, or paper pulp plantations and um the problem with these fires is that they smolder um different to the kind of flaming fires you see in forests and and in california and that smoldering releases lots of thick smoke into the atmosphere all that carbon that's stored in the peat which Mm has been there for thousands of years again is released and it's not going to be sucked out of the atmosphere anytime soon because it takes so long to accumulate so you've got this compounding problem of air pollution the loss of carbon sink and uh and of course, the associated loss of habitats as well, uh, and in these very highly biodiverse regions. So, I think those those are the two real pressing issues that affect mm-hmm. global climate change um, on a on on a, on a planetary scale.
0: So, Tom, I know you. It's it's great that you brought up peatlands. So, for those who don't know, do you mind telling them what are peatlands and why are they so important for biodiversity and sustainability?
1: Yeah, well, peat peatlands cover quite a small percentage of our land surface but they store a disproportionately higher content of carbon in, in fact it's it, it, it's a humongous uh store of carbon just the peat in the uk alone uh stores as much carbon as all the forests of the uk france and germany put together wow so, uh, which is an incredible statistic and yet peat only covers about 10 percent of the land surface in the uk so it's a huge important store and the reason for this is is um, Peter's organic matter that's built up over time um, in the higher latitudes, like in Scotland and Republic of Ireland, in Canada, in Siberia, Scandinavia. It's um, mosses uh, that that grow on the surface in these yeah. boggy conditions, and when they uh, when they die, that dead organic matter um, goes into the bog, and because there's a lack of oxygen in the water because it's not flowing, it's it's it, it tends to be uh, well, it's boggy. <laughs> and uh, because of that, there there is a very little decomposition of the carbon in that organic matter. And so it builds up layers upon layer upon layer. And in the tropics, where these peat bogs are underneath huge tropical forests in the lowland areas, where you've got lots of addition of organic matter every year um, into the boggy conditions, the be- the peat can be 30 or 40 metres thick um and that's wow. that's a huge carbon store that's taken thousands of years to accumulate and naturally it will be waterlogged um it'll be wet and so it would be resilient to fire um it would be very unusual for peat to catch fire under natural conditions but because humans in 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 the high latitudes and in the tropics are draining the, the bogs draining the swamps um and uh, removing the canopy cover it really raises the risk of that peat catching fire because it's incredibly flammable, and of course, over millions of years, peat eventually um, gets compressed into coal. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, that's that that is the origin of 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 coal and oil. It was once a tropical swamp forest uh, tens of millions of years ago, and and we still have that that the production of that precursor to coal and oil uh, on our planet in the form of peat.
0: Great. So, uh, Tom, I also want to mention a couple of things. Uh, You know, uh, the global satellite data actually indicate that wildfires are becoming bigger and more intense. Why do you think this is happening, which is actually making our planet more flammable and making fires hard to control? And what can we do about that?
1: Yeah, as I say, it is a complex situation that the global data sets of fire activity um, are difficult to interpret because, They come from satellites, and satellites can miss a lot of the fires. Uh, They don't spot everything. And a lot of the smaller fires, especially for agricultural burning, are definitely missed by these satellites. And the peat fires that tend to burn underground um, also, uh, and and they burn at a lower temperature, so they're harder to detect, get missed as well. So it's a little bit difficult to rely on those global statistics, but most uh, indicators suggest that in areas... In areas that uh have had regular fires for a very long time, fire activity is actually going down because of this fragmentation of the landscape that I mentioned. But in areas um that are not that don't that are less resilient to fire, I guess, uh, such as the forests of of, of Russia and the tropical forests um in places like Indonesia, the, the fire activity there is going up, uh, which is not a good a good thing. So thinking about what we do about it uh well the first thing we need to do is is address the changing climate as quickly as possible because um things are already approaching uh the danger level uh the, the storm that's here with me in the UK right now is unusually um severe for the UK which tends to have pretty miserable weather but uh, nothing too exciting but uh you know this is what the strongest low pressure system that we've had a, uh, on record and um so we need to do something about that and and first but if if we talk about adaptation and how Mm -hmm. we adapt to change um communities are getting used to new types of fires and um it requires a re-education um really good example is the uk wildfires were barely on anyone's radar here um 10 15 years ago but last year on the edge of london we had wildfires burning people's houses down it, that and to, to to americans i know you have devastating wildfires regularly in in, in especially on the the west California, Coast. yeah yeah um but in the uk it was kind of unheard of for there to be a fire that actually damages someone's property um you know we think about wildfires as being something that happens up on the moors far away from people but that's changing and with those changes Uh, comes the need to be better prepared and and uh governments in places that are seeing these changes to wildfire behavior are uh in the uk our wildfire our our firefighters are now training to be to to know how to fight wildfires because we've simply never had to fight them before so there hasn't been that um there hasn't been that team of firefighters who know what to do um 10 years ago you would see Uh, firefighters turning up to wildfires in their full outfits ready to fight a building fire because they simply don't have the kit um and that that needs to change and it is changing here and it's also changing other places where wildfire activity is um, becoming uh more intense or more prevalent
0: so tom do you think i mean as you said I also believe the rise in temperature is a major factor. Uh, the reason I'm bringing this up is because, uh, you know, the melting of the glaciers in the Antarctica, you know. Uh, we had the, the world actually experienced its hottest day ever recorded in July of 2023, which right. actually broke the global average temperature record set in 2016. And actually some scientists have claimed uh, that the speed and timing is very unprecedented. So. So, do you do you agree that, you know, the rising temperature overall on our planet is actually one of the major reasons, you know, it's very hard to contain the wildfires, they ignite easily, and of course, you know, wildfires are known to spread, it's just like a virus, you know, it just spreads very fast.
1: Yeah, absolutely, there is, there is a very well-established link between fire weather, which is determined by temperature, um, and the... Uh, the amount of rainfall that you have before a fire um, and the spread of the fire and the intensity of the fire. And I think talking about 2023, talking about this year and July um, and the fact that uh, the months since July have absolutely smashed any previous uh, records for uh, August, September, not only broken the previous records, but broken them by a record breaking amount, record breaking records um and i think we looked at canada which has had the yeah. most devastating wildfire season on record um the amount of biomass consumed by fires in canada this year is just astonishingly greater than any previous year on record it it, it not only did it blow the record it, it it was about seven or eight times greater than any previous amount of fire Um, And I think that is a huge warning sign that there are very big changes happening um, in response, uh, very big changes in our biosphere, in our forests, in response to these huge disturbances in the energy balance of our planet caused by the excess greenhouse gases in our atmosphere, which are driving these rapid rises in temperature. And uh, we're feeling the effects as the as uh, the impacts begin to uh, begin to manifest in, in through extreme weather and the and the extreme wildfires that we're seeing in places like uh, like California, uh, like California, Canada, um, and now here for me, at home in the UK as well.
0: And it's so it's so interesting that you know how you mentioned that the storm system is somehow correlated to the wildfire activity and and everything that's going on. You know something that I could not even like, think, you know, that could be correlated. Um, so, Tom, I want to ask you now, uh, in your opinion, based on your studies, as I said, how much does our decaying infrastructure impact wildfires? Uh, what I meant is, you know, sometimes the old power lines that run under the ground, you know, and they have started wildfires in the past as well. How significant are the decaying infrastructure's role in wildfire?
1: that is an important question um and it varies massively depending on where you are in the world of course some places uh some places are developing and the infrastructure is is brand new and and and, and those places have had chance to learn the lessons from uh from other places in the world uh there are different ways in in which you transmit electricity uh, for example okay. Uh, the infrastructure in California is particularly unfit for the environment in which it sits. Um, A great number of the wildfires in California were probably ignited by um, electricity pylons, uh, sparking. Uh, Another problem is uh, uh, in some places is trains. They, They tend to generate quite a lot of sparks that under very dry conditions can start wildfires and um, you know, infrastructure is certainly uh, plays a role in, in ignitions all over the planet. Um, not probably as important as the uh, the human set fires for land clearance and agriculture, which are probably the dominant cause of fires. Uh, but the uh, yeah, the infrastructure is certainly a local or regional issue in some places. And I, and the one that springs to mind is California. They really do have an issue with their power grid um uh, but it's important to stress most of most of the fires on the planet are started by people um but it's what happens after the ignition that is mm-hmm. changing as a result of climate change whereas once uh, the fire might have petered out and not spread very far and would have been easy to fight as well uh by the by the firefighting agencies today they get out of control much faster um and are too intense to fight using most firefighting techniques, uh, which is leading to huge changes um, in the way they behave, irrespective of how they started.
0: Uh, So, Tom, uh, I also want to ask you, how concerned are you with what's going on? You know, rise in global temperature, melting of glaciers in Antarctica, uh, you know, that will eventually increase the rise in the ocean water level as well. So how concerned are you where
1: we are heading? Yeah, I'm increasingly concerned. And the past couple of years, um, you know, the, the the rising temperatures, the average temperatures, the melting of the ice sheets, the, these are all indicators that something dramatic is happening. Um, the amount of energy leaving our planet versus the amount of energy that comes in is so out of balance right now. The oceans are absorbing way more heat than they were in the past. The paper came out just last week that showed that the ocean heat content um, has increased by, well, an unimaginable number. And if that energy had gone into the atmosphere, we'd all be toast by now. (laughs) But um, uh, those are all indicators, right? But my concern, you know, my personal concern is about the follow-on impacts on society, Uh, the fact that, there's a real risk that now in my I used to think it would be my children or my children's children that might face the most devastating impacts of climate change. But I'm worried personally now about 10, 15 years time about food security, even in uh, the most developed and rich nations. Our uh, Complex economy uh, is very much teetered in, in a in a very delicate balance. With our environment, and um, and I'm I'm worried that uh, once the food security issue becomes uh, important, that is when you see the collapse of the the rule of law and order, and once you get there, then we have a real risk to the society on our planet as we know it, and so it really is urgent. I don't think uh, pe- people realize sometimes that the how quickly uh, how quickly we could lose control of uh, of the civilized world.
0: That's very well said, uh, Sir so Tom. What is your take on the adaptation of electric vehicles? The reason I brought this up is, you know, in order to control the emissions, you know, the carbon dioxide, monoxide emissions, you know, companies like Tesla, they are they are rapidly growing. Uh, I mean, China is their number one market, but US is their number second market. And it is actually uh, gaining tremendous popularity in the UK as well. I would yeah. say in Europe, you know. How supportive of are you of something that's being done by Tesla or other EV companies in order to combat uh, the global warming aspect?
1: Well, obviously they want to make money, but I think it's, it's fantastic. I'm proud of the fact that um, despite Uh, Despite our government uh, not particularly caring too much about climate change, the people here in the UK are very quickly switching to electric vehicles far faster than anyone predicted they would. And the infrastructure is everywhere that on the street outside where I live, there are lampposts where you can charge your charge your electric vehicle. So, um, I mean, it's just uh, impressive at how quickly it's all being rolled out. And uh, no, it plays an incredibly important role. Um, the emissions from vehicles are, are a huge part of the uh, the contribution to the atmosphere when it comes to carbon dioxide. And um, the electricity generated in the UK to power those electric vehicles is can at times be 50, 60% renewable. We have really good solar and wind power now um, here. So you've got these electric vehicles powered by renewable energy or low carbon energy, nuclear and, and, and gas, which is a huge difference um, in life cycle emissions, uh, including the including the production of the car and the production of the battery, which we know uh, certainly leads to some uh, carbon emissions. But the the overall lifetime of the car um, is going to have, especially in countries like the UK, that have quite a clean energy mix for the electricity supply um is is a net positive and i I think they're they're very important in the transition in the energy transition um and yeah my sister has one i don't drive but uh uh, living in london you don't need to and uh and so yeah the adoption of uh, of electric vehicles is is
0: playing an important role see it's it's very it's so entrusting and it's so fascinating to hear this from someone who is as brilliant and educated as you are because the ev electric vehicle sector gets a lot of heat especially mm. from people who still you know use the gas car including myself uh, but but i think you know they don't see what you see or maybe they don't want to see what you see and you know so i don't know if it's a ignorance on their part or it's just like as you said it's a money making business you know uh,
1: yeah um there are multiple reasons why people are in denial about the current crisis uh we like to think we like to think that I've, well some people simply just think it's not happening uh others think it's it can't be caused by us um the idea that humans have become such a dominant force uh for danger on our planet um others think it's not going to be as bad as what us scientists say it's going to be um and uh, others think, well, it's too hard to do anything about it. Uh, and in all cases, it's, it's a form of denial. And there are reasons behind this. There are complex uh, networks of uh, of businesses, of politicians, and the media that would prefer to keep the status quo. Right? Um, it's cost. It is costly to to have an energy transition uh, that is of such a dramatic nature that's really needed um and uh some people don't want to bear those costs now but they will be paying for it later and uh uh, that short-term thinking is leading to uh us really not realizing just how close the cliff edge is and um we're very concerned by that and the denial the den- denialism is the reason why we haven't fixed the crisis if 20 years ago mm-hmm. it would have been easy we, we just needed to worry about seven gigatons of carbon uh per year by 2050 we could have stabilized our climate at one one and a half two degrees c now it's almost impossible i mean it's going to require such a monumental shift uh i i don't think well i think it's possible that next year will be one and a half if not this year one and a half degrees c above the pre-industrial average um and uh if that doesn't hammer home the urgency of the situation then i'm not too sure what will
0: yeah that's true you know i mean as you can see also the change in seasons you know uh the starting point the ending point you know we have here spring that goes all the way past kind of summertime you know and uh uh, they are predicting very harsh winter for this year because we really had a mild winter last year, mm-hmm. and we had a lot of rain. I mean, rain is important. I mean, if you, I mean, you can see major flooding. You know, Bangladesh, parts of U.S., China. I mean, it's yeah. it's unbelievable. You know what's going on?
1: Well, the, there's flooding happening right now in the U.K. and that. It, I'm fairly certain that when analysis of these storms, we had a storm last week, we've got a storm this week. It looks like there's another one on the way. Um, they're bringing so much rainfall. And the reason for that is because the Atlantic Ocean is much warmer than it should be. Uh, mm-hmm. It's way above average. It's, it's in a record temperature for months now. But all of that extra heat um, that's been passed to the atmosphere uh we're also seeing a huge amount of extra water that's evaporated into the atmosphere. And that's when it arrives in Western Europe, it gets dumped in the form of rain. And all of this, all of this flooding is made worse by all of that extra energy in the atmosphere because there's just more water um, getting into the atmosphere and uh, it's, it's accelerating the, wa- the, the, um, the water cycle. Yeah. And seasons are changing. Uh, migratory birds are shifting, Everything in the system that would normally slowly change with geological changes in our Earth's climate, which, um, you know, it, it's it's undeniable that the planet was 14 degrees C warmer, um, set, you know, 50, 50 million years ago. But the changes were so gradual that our biosphere had time to to change and adapt. Even the changes during early human history you know, thousands of years ago were slow Um but this and so society and civilization was able to to shift and move and adapt their behavior and practices but the pace of change right now is is the threat and um as i said earlier the, the biggest threat is to our food systems because um they they're extremely vulnerable uh, to these rapid changes
0: very interesting uh, Tom, before we wrap this up, if you have any closing message for our audience, you know uh, that you would like to share based on what's going on, please please take it away from here.
1: yeah, i I'm not sure um of your audience base Sid, but i'm I should imagine that a lot of them are concerned about environmental issues. I know you've covered them quite a bit um on your uh, on your podcast. And so I I guess I don't need to preach to the converted in terms of, of most of your audience. But I guess the important thing is to is for people to reach out to those who are in denial and to get them to think critically. I think people have lost the ability to think critically about the narratives that are weaved in the media. People often consume it without thinking too much about why. That might be reported in that particular way or sold in that particular way. And I think those skills are really important. And um, if if you have children, making sure that they are equipped with those skills to carefully think about uh, why environmental issues are presented in a particular way. So, yeah, critical thinking is important. And, maybe switching off Fox News.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, Tom, uh, I want to thank you very much. And I want to also let our audience know that we will uh, put uh, your links, your university link, LinkedIn X, uh, you know, in the description of this video. And uh, so if they have any questions regarding it, if they want to see your current projects, publications, they want to read, uh, they are more than welcome to reach out to you through those and ask any questions and uh, maybe contribute towards this cause, you know as as a as a whole, you know, being a scientist, being a professor, being a people who are not in this industry, I think we should all unite together to fight this uh, cause as it is alarming. And, uh, you know, it relates to our, our existence and civilization, you know. Yeah. Um, so talk, yeah, go ahead, Tom. I was just going to say thanks a lot and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you, Tom. Uh, be well. Stay safe from this, Tom, and uh, we'll see you soon. Thank you.
1: I'll try. Bye Thank for you.
0: now. Bye bye. Bye bye.